0: Good morning, Willow Park Church. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Jordan Pilgrim, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so excited that we can, well, be here and and watching from our living rooms or on our phones or wherever we're at. And I just want to welcome you here today. If you're uh, stumbling upon this feed for the first time, uh, we welcome you here, and we are excited one day to get back to to normal church, the way things were, but for now, we're excited to be here. You know, we're walking through the book of Daniel, and uh, Phil's going to be talking today. Pastor Phil's going to be talking about um, one verse and the whole chapter, but verse 4 says this. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. God keeps his covenant of love with us when we keep our covenant of love with him. Actually, he loves us no matter what, but since he loves us, we can enter into a relationship of love and care with him. And he takes care of us and takes care of our needs. James talks about those who draw near to him, he will draw near to them. So let's take this time today to draw near to God and draw in and be in with him. We're excited for for Easter coming up and, and to experience all Um, that we can. And we're going to be having a real celebration of Holy Week coming up. And and we're going to be doing Palm Sunday service um, online and in the parking lot. And perhaps Bonnie Henry will allow us to meet in person. Uh, But we'll see about that. But we're going to be doing that. We're going to be doing some prayer nights through the week of Holy Week. And then culminating Good Friday and then finally um, Easter Sunday. And celebrate our risen Savior. So let's look forward to that. And let's be excited about drawing near to God. So with that, Let's take some time to worship.
1: Welcome, Woolport Church. Nice to see you again this morning, or this afternoon, or this evening, depending on when you are watching this. Um, I'm Sarah, this is Chris and Jesse and Luke, and we're going to be worshiping with you today, and it's our pleasure and joy to do so. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 3. This is what God has been reminding me about, especially this morning when I was meditating. It says, "Therefore." if you have been raised with Christ to a new life sharing in his resurrection from the dead keep seeking the things that are above and that's what I want us to focus on today is just to put our attention on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above the heavenly things not on the things that are on the earth which only have temporal value because you died to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's put our attention on God. Let's put our attention on heavenly things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you have encouraged us to remember that our life is not just this life this life is important but we have a God who can enable us to live this life well and I pray that you would help us to remember that you are in control that you love us that you are all powerful and all knowing that you are strong in every situation that nothing is impossible with you and that because of all of those things that we can keep our attention on you We can fulfill your plan for us on earth. Let's worship. Your love awakens me.
2: Darkness we
1: listen to your word now that you would help us to keep our eyes on things that are above those heavenly things that remind us of who you are and how much we need you and how faithful you are to fulfill all of our needs in your name and for your name's sake amen
0: we're going to take communion now and uh, as we do that as i spoke off the top and as we worship we're drawing closer to him and and, and one of the biggest privileges we have We really need to understand this big privilege that we have to be able to come and share in that Last Supper, sharing communion, remembering what our God and Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I want to encourage you just to take some time right now. Let's steady our hearts and ready our hearts before Him. Let's take a moment and confess our sins. Ask God to search our hearts, and we'll take communion. So let's pray. Father, we bring our hearts towards you. We bring our, our shortcomings to you, and, and we make no uh, excuses. We just want to give our lives to you and give our, confess our sins to you. And I just pray that we would be able to move and go into a place of uh, a deeper communion with you, remembering what you did for us on the cross, and thank you so much. I'm going to read quickly from Romans chapter 8. Verse thirty-seven. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present of the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise that is! Is that as much as we feel separated and as much as we feel distant, uh, nothing will separate us. From the love of God no matter what we've done no matter what we've walked into we can just turn back to him and say God I'm here and he'll be there and nothing will separate us so that's such a great great promise so as we take that the reason why we can celebrate that is because of the bread and the wine and, and remembering and remember what he's done for us it says this in first Corinthians 4 I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when having given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread In the same way After supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Father, thank you so much that we can do this. Be close to and connected to you in something that you did 2,000 years ago. Ate and drank with your disciples, and we do that with you now, remembering what you've done. Thank you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless.
3: Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. This week, we are super excited to welcome back so many of our kids for Spring Break Camp. Please be in prayer this week for the camp, for our kids, and for our leaders that they have a super fun and safe time as we learn about the armor of God. We are super excited to announce that clubs will be coming to all three of our locations, Rutland, Mission, and Lake Country. This is an amazing opportunity to bring your kids and your kids' friends and neighbors to a fun night of games, songs, crafts, and Bible stories. Learn more and register today at willowparkchurch.com clubs. We are currently looking for two more elders to join the Willow Park Church Board. We are still accepting nominations and invite you to prayerfully consider who you think would be a good fit to join the leadership of our church. The deadline for nominations is tomorrow, Monday, March 15th. To learn more and to nominate someone to be considered for eldership, visit willowparkchurch.com elder. Finally, we also want to remind you about our noon prayer gatherings, which happens Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock noon. Join our pastors and other leaders online for a half hour of meeting with God and praying for one another. To find out how to connect, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com prayer. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service.
4: Good morning, Willow Park Church. Uh, Thank you, Sarah, for leading worship. We're so grateful. And Jordan for leading us at the beginning of the service. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's that time of year when the clocks spring forward and I am preaching at 8 a.m. in the morning, which is actually 9 a.m., but it feels like 6 a.m., to be honest. But I'm here and I'm excited to be able to share with you from Daniel 9. Daniel 9 is really interesting because it, it deals with a whole, we get a window into the prayer life of Daniel. We start to understand his spiritual formation and the way that he approaches his time with the Lord and the way that he steps in. And this is unique. In, in all of the 12 chapters of Daniel, uh, Daniel 9 is suddenly and incredibly unique in its, in its kind of construct and how it appears. So we're going to be taking time to talk through Daniel 9. But the things I want you to notice and I want you to understand is that Daniel 9 uh, teaches us a lot about prayer life. It teaches us a lot about how a man like Daniel engaged with the Lord and spent time with the Lord. And this is exciting because we can learn a lot about how we engage and how we move forward with the Lord in our lives. So if you look at the chapter and you open it up, there's 27 verses. If you open it up and look at the chapters and you understand that it's broken down into a number of of parts. First of all, it's broken down in a period of preparation. Then there's a period of confession. Then there's the acknowledgement of God's judgment. And then there is the plea for mercy that God will restore. And then there are the 77s. The moment when suddenly the angel Gabriel appears and then speaks and gives to Daniel a lot more than he ever bargained for. Suddenly reveals history and future and the way that God is going to move and the way that God is going to work quite remarkable so uh, how can I begin well first of all let me talk about the power of confession because really the chapter is about confession Daniel is interceding on behalf of his nation and Daniel is interceding on behalf of those who are in exile that God will deliver them and God will do the impossible. He will reverse what has taken place with the deportation of uh, the Israelites to Babylon, some 600 miles away from Jerusalem, which in today's um, uh, ability to travel is nothing but back then it was like a world apart it's like they've been taken from one planet and placed on another planet and there there they are so let's talk about confession first of all confession of course some Christians say I don't need to confess <clears throat> the work of the cross has done it all I am completely forgiven I'm completely fine well it is true that the work of the cross is complete, that the work of the cross is remarkable, that the work of the cross has achieved victory over Satan, victory over sin, and victory over death. That is completely true. We know that. And I want you to understand that that power of the cross and the use of confession is, is the kind of Judicial approach to confession. In other words, in the court of heaven, God has declared you forgiven. God has declared over you that you and all of your debts are paid. That where you were once condemned, Jesus Christ has come into the courtroom. Put the hammer down, if you like, by the judge and said, You are free to go. You are forgiven. I release you. You were once bankrupt. You were once a renegade. You were once in darkness. I now free you to live your life because the condemnation of sin and death is no longer on you. And because you have confessed and owned your sin, you are now free to walk. So there is that kind of confession for salvation to activate the work of the cross there is another kind of confession that we need to continue to do which is relational which is as we move through life we fail as we interact with human beings we fall short in human relationships we experience wounds and damage and pain and confession is a powerful weapon for us to bring that freedom and that life within our lives, to look at our lives and to realize that actually I need to bring all of my confessions and all of my hurt and all of my bitterness and all of my resentment and all of my offense to the Lord and ask him to clean up my life and ask him to work and to move in me. So let's think about it this way. The cross achieved the ultimate victory. The war was won. Christ had achieved the victory. But as the war was won and Christ had achieved the victory, there's still the battlefield of life. And often the most dangerous time after a war has been done is when you start to clean up the battlefield because of the mines. Because of the the booby traps. Because of the munitions that are in the ground. And if you step on a mine, boom! It can blow your leg off. And within our own lives... We know that the war has been won, but we know that the process of sanctification is there and there are booby traps, there are mines in our life. Have you ever been with somebody and suddenly the conversation has gone a very different way and suddenly that person may become animated and it's like suddenly you've triggered something within them and they explode with such frustration, with such anger, with such bitterness. They go, what's going on? And, and such hurt, and you never expected that, but it comes out at that moment. Well, they may be forgiven in the courts of heaven, but there's a process of sanctification that comes and sets us free. And the Christian walk is one as that I am forgiven, and I am working and being forgiven just because I offend the Lord. In my thoughts, words, and deeds. And I want to encourage you that confession is a beautiful thing. And often, when you are looking for direction in your life, maybe you need to change a job, maybe you need to decide how to move forward in guidance and direction within your life. It's very down. And to write out all the things that you are frustrated with. It's very good to write down all the things that you are resentful about. All the people that you have a niggle against, a frustration, a a resentment, an offence that is there. And as you write this all down, to take time and to confess honestly all that you've been through, all that you've faced, all of your hurts. Because we all approach things from a different direction, but the ground around the cross is flat and we can confess. And when you've done this and you've brought this to the Lord and you confess you will discover that there is a release. You will discover that there is a moment when suddenly God starts to speak because you've got rid of all of the, of the, of the garbage. You've, got, you've taken out the rubbish of your life. You've stepped back and you've been willing to do an inventory of your life, of your frustrations, of your resentments, of your insecurities, of your hurt, of your damage, of everything that you're facing within life. And you confess it to the Lord in your brokenness. And you know what happens? It's as if the angel Gabriel appears and says, I have the answer for you. Of course, that's what happens in Daniel 9. And I'm not saying literally that when you do that, the angel Gabriel Appears, but Gabriel at the end of chapter 9 is representative of the voice of God and clarity that comes and God speaks. And when we go through a process of confession, the truth is we clear the way for God to speak, we clear the way for God to minister to us, we clear the way for redemption, for a reset, for a restart, for a rebeginning, and that's the beauty of. Christian confession that we're able to do this. So let's run through the chapter, 27 verses. I've picked out key verses in key sections as we break down uh, this journey. Excuse me, I've got early morning uh, voice. So preparation. Well, first of all, Um, When Daniel approaches this time of prayer, he spends time preparing and getting right with God. What we notice is that he starts to read the scriptures. What is beautiful about this is that he reads the scriptures from the writings of Jeremiah. Although Jeremiah's writings uh, went on 23 years before the exile, and now it's nearly 70 years of exile, So uh, perhaps a century has passed. He is taking the words of Jeremiah. He is reading them. He is reminding the promises of God. He is affirming that the word of God is God-breathed. That he trusts the prophetic word of Jeremiah. And he's spending time reminding himself that God is... Is at work that God spoke through the great and dynamic, extreme prophet, the Jeremiah, and spoke with power and spoke with life. I think it's important that when we approach prayer in our own lives, that we do the preparation. We pull out our Bibles and we start to look again at the promises of God that are for you. You look at the promises that God has spoken directly. For your life for your family, for the situations that you're contending for, because you're about to enter in to a time of prayer. And it's so good. Like he was reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah. He was reading it with passion. He was ready to do prayer and petition. He started off by fasting. His body, he wore sackcloth and ashes. He put himself in a position where he humbled himself before God and where he fasted before God, and where he reminded himself of the amazing promises through Jeremiah, and the truth of the situation, and he spent that time. I'm reminded of my own mother, my mother-in-law, who, when she goes to prayer, pulls out an old, worn-out book. And in this book, is promises of Scripture that she's written down all over the years. She pulls this worn out little notebook and as she looks at it, she reminds herself the promises that the Holy Spirit has given to her through Scripture in this book and she prays those promises. By the way, today is is Mother's Day, yes, yes in the united kingdom so mother happy mother's day but what is beautiful is that we have to prepare we have to get ready we have to be passionate because he knows he's going to contend i'm reminded of jesus in the garden of gethsemane surrounded by the olive trees walking in that time of darkness And there he's agonizing and praying and he's preparing himself for God to do something. He's preparing his heart. He's standing and he's praying. He's believing God. There's that sense of preparation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And whenever we come to prayer, it is important for us to prepare correctly in our lives. I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer, petition, in fasting, and in sackcloths and ashes. He prepared himself passionately before the Lord. And then he enters into a time of confession. And this is what I spoke about at the beginning. That ability to vomit all that is going on. To put out everything that is taking place in your life and to say, I do this. All of that pain, all of that confession. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servant, the prophet's who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land you can just feel daniel's emotion you can feel his commitment here in verses 5 and 6 he starts to to confess the history and the reality of the rebellion now remember israel is in exile for one reason because they rebelled against god the way they lived The way they acted, the way they worked against the Lord, the way they took on other gods, this created a spiritual reaction that goes all the way back to the Torah. When God spoke to Moses and God said, it's quite simple. Listen to me. Quite simple. If you follow my laws, you keep to my commandments, you have no other idols or gods beside me, you will be blessed, you will be protected, and I will be with you. But if you choose to have the gods of other lands, if you choose to rebel against my laws and my decrees, and you choose not to do what I have asked you to do, then you will find a curse will come. You will find problems will arise. You will find people will oppose you. You will find that I will use other nations to come to your door and to judge you. You will find at that point, in Deuteronomy 28, it talks about a prophetic word that if you rebel against God, you will be exiled to the nations. And what Daniel does here in Confession... He acknowledges that they have broken the covenant. You see, the way that the Torah is constructed and the covenant is constructed, is constructed like an ancient agreement between two nations. Actually, it's constructed in a way that is very much like, we have examples of this, of the Hittite covenants between city-states. The Hittites would come in as the big power. They would take over a city. And then what they would do is they would write out an agreement about what that city would give to the Hittites and what the Hittites would give in return. And they would agree, call a covenant. It was a legal document in the ancient world. And then from that point on, that smaller city was to serve the larger empire with the agreement that the larger empire would give certain things and the agreement that the smaller city state, let's say, would respond in that way. And this is an ancient agreement. Now, the way that the laws of Moses are constructed are constructed in the same way. And what used to happen is that they used to write this agreement out. It was placed in the temple of that particular city and it was placed in the high temple, for example, of the Hittites and in both temples there was an agreement about how they would interact and work. Now when it comes to the Old Testament, the covenant, this is exactly what God did. God the creator of heaven and earth came to the Israelites and said, I Through Abraham this is a covenant and I bring this covenant to you and this is what I say if you obey me you'll be blessed if you obey me I will bless all nations you will multiply if you obey me and follow my laws I will give you favour you will have a land of milk and honey you will have promises and the whole world will be blessed because of you and I place this covenant in the temple in heaven and you place this covenant the stones of the ten commandments In the temple, there in Jerusalem, and I want you to know that if you keep to the agreement, you will be blessed. But if you rebel, you will end up in exile. So, this is what Daniel is confessing: that they didn't keep the agreement. They did not keep the agreement between themselves and their God. And they did not listen to the prophets that came and preached. And they ignored what the scriptures and the Torah said. And therefore, problems came. Difficulties happened. And their princes, their prophets, the land was judged. You and I know... That if we keep God's law, although we are not justified by law, but if we keep God's law, then we will be blessed. You see, it says do not commit adultery. And if I live my life in marriage and I do not commit adultery, I have a greater chance that my marriage will be blessed because I choose not to step into infidelity and I choose to be faithful. My marriage is going to be more blessed. But if I choose to go against the law of God and commit adultery, then you and I know that it unleashes a whole chain of events that create pain, that create agony, that create separation, that eventually can result in divorce. And this is what happened. Israel was unfaithful to God and God is saying, you've broken the covenant and therefore, I am going to place you into exile. And at that point, they experience judgment. And we read in verses 13 and 14, just as it is written in the law of Moses, the covenant, the agreement, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord, our God, by turning From our sins and given attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything, He does, yet we have not obeyed Him. It all came down to not religious activity, it all came down to obedience in the relationship of the covenant. It's not just about doing the right thing and appearing to do the religious thing. It's about the relationship that you and I have with God. You see, the Israelites believed this. They had the temple. And as long as the temple was in Jerusalem and the temple was the place where God lived, that then nothing would ever happen to Jerusalem they believed completely they believed that they believed completely that if they had the temple then they would never be destroyed because god was there but the truth was god cared not so much about that temple but god cared about the temple of their hearts And the temple became an image that they thought protected them, created a shield. It was impossible because God could never be defeated. Well, God wasn't defeated because this wasn't brought about by man. This was a decision by God because he brought judgment upon them. And we've got to be very aware that when we rebel against God and we choose to live in disobedience to what the Lord asks us to do, it has spiritual consequences. Because what we sow, we reap. Because we know that if we act a certain way, if we think a certain way, that it unleashes all kinds of strongholds, all kinds of footholds, all kinds of legal license of the enemy that gets involved. Within our lives. And so each one of us, we have to be willing to examine ourselves. And so Daniel acknowledges, Daniel acknowledges the reality, he acknowledges the reality that this is a result of rebellion that has come upon us. But then he calls out to God for mercy. Mercy is what he's looking for. Mercy, God, come and move, in power. come and work. He comes and says, be merciful before us. Yes, we've done all this. It's 70 years have passed. 70 years is significant because in the ancient world, 70 years was an appropriate period where a city would lay desolate before they rebuilt it. Basically, 70 years is a generation, and a generation has passed. And what he's saying is, will you bless? Israel again. Will you bless after seventy years? It's 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 coming to that time. God, have mercy. God, come and work. God, come and reset, restore, bring your presence. Come and move and work. Come, Lord, and speak now. We need your help. We 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 are sorry. I intercede on behalf of the nation, and I see the failings of the people but Lord now in this generation will you come will you come and will you forgive will you press the reset button and do the impossible and bring us back to the promised land rebuild the temple move oh God we ask you can hear his words as he cries for mercy look at this verse 17 and 19 now our God Hear the prayers and the petitions of your servants for your sake. Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Talking about the destroyed temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because we... Your great mercy, Lord. Listen, Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Come, Lord, do not delay. What he's asking for is this. There was once the great exodus from Egypt where Moses came Moses worked. There was that moment where God delivered them from the impossible of 400 years of servitude and slavery and God brought a deliverer, Moses. What he's actually asking is, Lord, we have now been in exile for 70 years. Will you bring a deliverance to us? Will you restore All that was lost. We recognize your greatness. We recognize that we have sinned. We recognized all the actions we have done. And now Lord, will you make a way for us? This is often what happens in intercession prayer. That we spend time preparing. We spend time confessing the sins of past generations. We acknowledge the results of our actions, the discipline that we've experienced in our lives, maybe. Because Hebrew teaches us that God does discipline us. He does prune us. He does come to us. We acknowledge that. And we plea for his grace, his breakthrough, his mercy. And when you've gone through this process, I have clearly discovered... But at the end of it, suddenly you see the deliverance. You see the breakthrough. You see the moment of how the Lord leads you through the Red Sea, which seems the impossible circumstance that you are in. Suddenly, a different event, a new ruler appears like Cyrus, the ruler of the Persian Empire. And as he appears, he says, You can go back. You can rebuild. Ezra goes back to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the walls. And suddenly, what was lost starts to grow again. There becomes redemption there becomes restoration. The walls that were broken down are rebuilt stronger than before. And it only comes through heartfelt confession, repentance. That's the way we redeem our lives. That's the way we change the course. And often I sit with people Regularly. And I talk to them about the mess in their lives, about the addictions, about the broken relationships, about the marriage that is spinning out of control. And I'll look a man in the face regularly and say, You've got a choice and the choice is this, you've got to prepare your heart, you've got to get down on your knees, you've got to confess where you've gone wrong, you've got to acknowledge that you're in this mess because of your choices and you've got to plead to God that he will press the restore button and bring mercy into the situation and your exodus from slavery will come and your exile will be over as God brings forgiveness. He brings life. He brings the answer. Think about that. And for some of us, we've got situations in our lives that we need to do some serious spiritual work. Sadly, I've discovered that many Bible-believing Christians are not willing to do that work. Therefore, the war is over, the battle is won, but their lives are full of landmines. Full of damage, full of hurt. We've all got to be willing to do the work to redeem Daniel was willing to do the work of prayer for his nation. And then we see this amazing moment. The 77s. The angel Gabriel appears. Wow. He gets the answer. And we notice that the answer from the angel is, 77s are decreed for your people, your holy city, to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. Now this is really strange because 77s is 490 years. So what he's saying is, and often as we've talked before, numbers in this kind of literature, apocalyptic literature, can be confusing can be symbolic, is it aren't always literal, but it indicates something. Seven always indicates, you know, a time for sabbatical, a time for healing. Ten generations of seven, which is 70, was the time they were in exile. Of course, the Lord always said to them that you should work the land six years and rest on the seventh that you should honor me and after 50 years you should have a jubilee and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, symmetry in this reminding the people that because they rebelled they did not trust god they missed the blessing of sabbatical, if you like. They le- missed the blessing of the Sabbath. They didn't act upon the Jubilee. They didn't forgive debts. They didn't redeem people. They didn't let slaves free. They didn't do all the beautiful things that are there in Jubilee, that are there in Sabbath. And here they find themselves for, for 70 years, a generation, as Israel sits desolate, they are in exile. And and this is an important point in our own spiritual journey, that we need to learn to live in the right rhythms of Sabbath, of sabbatical, of retreat, of intimacy, and look at our lives and say, Lord, I give the next seven years to you. Lord, I spend that time See, this kind of approach isn't just for pastors. It's for all the priesthood of believers. But it amazes me how many Christians can't even give one day a year away to pray for their lives, for their children, for their families. It amazes me how the idea of retreat is something other people do, but we don't do it. We all need jubilee. Because the gospel is jubilee. But we all need that healing of our land. We need the rest of our souls. We need to churn our field over so that we can receive the seed of God's love. And the seed of God's grace within us. But let's finish off by looking at this. Seventy sevens are decreed. It's really interesting, there are six things is prophesied through Gabriel will happen and they are remarkable things. First of all, there will be the end of trans- uh, transgressions. All wrong, all sinfulness. Secondly, there'll be the end of sin. And thirdly, it uses the phrase to atone for wickedness. In other words, there will be a place in history and in time when transgressions will be forgiven and will finish, where wickedness will be atoned for and where sin will be finished. Now I'm absolutely convinced and you know as well as I do that this moment in this prophecy in Daniel probably somewhere in the region of 490 years in time. Which brings us to AD 26, which is about the time that Jesus was anointed for his ministry. And he read the words from Isaiah that I have come, Isaiah 61, I have come to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, release to the captive, freedom for the prisoner. You know that. He preached that in Luke chapter 4 in the synagogue. And Though it's not an exact science, we know and that Jesus came to do what? He came to get rid of transgressions, to get rid of all of our darkness. He came to put an end to all sin because he defeated sin and he also as the one to atone for the wickedness of the world. When Christ hung upon the cross, he atoned, he paid the price. The sacrifice of animals could never pay the price, but the sacrifice of Jesus paid the price. Now think of this, this is 539 BC. He's talking about a time beyond after the restoration of the land he's talking about a place in time he's talking about the arrival of the messiah and this is what the messiah will do and to bring in everlasting righteousness everlasting righteousness it's got an eschatology it's about future it's about the end and one day there will be everlasting righteousness because there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and to seal up the vision and the prophecy now when it uses the word seal it doesn't mean that it's going to lock away it means in the ancient context of the word seal it means that it is affirmed with the king's ring and the king's ring is stamped on the agreement and says this is sealed by the king and cannot be changed and so what we're hearing here is that as he's gone through all the confession, praying for Jerusalem and for the temple, God gives Daniel a lot more than he ever bargained for. God gives Daniel the blueprint of the salvation of all the nations. God gives Daniel hope. God gives Daniel a global, everlasting picture that one day righteousness will last forever. And he seals it that this is true and to anoint the most holy place. I don't think this is talking about the temple. The most holy place is Jesus Christ. Now, we do have a number of things going on here. One can try and put this prophetic word into the story, as we talked about last week, of uh, Antiochus the fourth who destroyed the temple. But it's a lot more than this. It's to do with the future. It's to do with restoration. It's to do with jubilee. It's to do with the work of the cross. It's to do with the Messiah coming. I happen to believe, I know people don't, and this is where you get into literature. I happen to believe that everything in chapter nine was fulfilled all the way up to AD 70 with the destruction of the temple. And the period and the three periods that will be talked about, the seven and then the uh, other sevens and the breakdown of the three periods all play out. And I've read many theologians about this and none of them really know quite how it works, uh, quite how it all puts together The, the Hebrew is difficult. But what we do know is that this is pretty clear that it's about the... Messiah coming to deliver the people and to bring hope. And he will come. Yes, there is desolation of the temple, AD 70. Yes, there is one that comes who is anointed, Jesus Christ, who does and frees us of sin and death and life. And yes, there is a eschatology. There is a future coming of Jesus in this passage and when you look at this passage at the end of Daniel 9 it's like you've got your binoculars and you look into the future and then you flip it around and things come close and then you look into the future there's a multi-level of messages coming through one about the time of Antiochus, about the destruction of the temple, others about the destruction in AD 70. But the most important central issue is that the Messiah will come. He will come. Sin will be no more, transgressions forgiven, and everlasting righteousness will be there. And God has said, with his ring, I seal it with my authority, that you and I are forgiven. Isn't the Bible amazing? Isn't it incredible? And so I can only encourage you at the end of this message, so much more I could talk about. I can only encourage you this, to live a life of confession, to clear out all the pain, to get rid of the landmines. I can only encourage you to know that there is a way out of slavery and that Christ forgives and that Daniel got more than he bargained for. He thought he was just talking about the 70 years and God showed him the Messiah that would come, that there would be no more transgressions and he would atone for the sins of the world. Fantastic, fantastic. So much in there for you and many more lessons. Father, we thank you for this teaching, for the power of Daniel and for the message. And I pray, Lord, as we finish now, we will have the guts to be a Daniel that will even enter into the process for our lives, for our families, for our home, for our businesses, to enter into a time of confession, of acknowledgement, And allow you to come and bring us out of our spiritual exile in our hearts into a fullness of verse 24. That we will be free from transgressions and sin and wickedness. And enter everlasting righteousness with the authority of God through the Messiah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Just as we finish, can I mention something? And this is just a quick announcement. Kids camp starts this week. We still need volunteers. uh, Some tomorrow. So contact Tamara. Please help us. This is awesome. 100 children coming to kids camp. We need your help. And then we're starting kids clubs in the south at 33 and Lake Country. We need volunteers to help build our communities and connect with our children. This is our holy service. This is a beautiful thing to do, to be and to serve the youngest generation and to sow the seeds. Think of the school teachers that sowed into your life and changed you. Will you help us? Will you uh, volunteer? Will you get involved? Will you spend that time as a lovely sacrifice to the Lord by serving him? Don't forget, please do give. Keep the church moving. We're on mission, not our maintenance.